Hi, I'm Jim Lebrecht, and I am co-director of Crip Camp with Nicole Noonan. I'm Nicole Noonan, and I'm co-director and co-producer of Crip Camp with Jim Lebrecht. Wait, you want me to tell me what happened? <laughs> well, two people got cramps, and they're spreading. <laughs> we were all very hyper about it. And I have to go shower some people. I'll see you later. I wanted to be part of the world, but I didn't see anyone like me in it. I hear about a summer camp for the handicapped run by hippies. Somebody said you probably will smoke dope with the counselors, and I'm like, sign me up. Have to catch an edit and find yourself. There I was. I was at Woodstock. You wouldn't be picked to be on the team back home, but at Jeanette, you had to go up the back. Even when we were that young, we helped empower each other. It was allowing us to recognize that the status quo is not what it needed to be. The world always wants us dead. We live with that reality. At the time, so many kids just like me were being sent to institutions. It was just a continual struggle. Most disabled people, like myself, are unable to use public transportation. We needed a civil rights law of our own. rehabilitation program has been vetoed by the president because it was cost prohibitive. We decided we were going to have a demonstration. You get the call to action. To the barricades. A small army of the handicapped have occupied this building for the past 11 days. So many people from Camp Jeanette found their way into the building. The FBI cut off the phones. The deaf people went, we know what to do. That's how we communicated to the people outside the building. The Black Panther Party would bring a hot meal. We were like this. We are the strongest political force in this country. We will no longer allow the government to oppress disabled individuals. And I would appreciate it if you would stop shaking your head in agreement when I don't think you understand what we are talking about. What we saw at that camp was that our lives could be better. You don't demand what you believe in for yourself. You're not going to get it. I said you like to see um, the handicapped people depicted as people. Excuse me? <laughs> that is the trailer for the Netflix documentary Crip Camp. And this is Factual America. Factual America is produced by Alamo Pictures, a production company specializing in documentaries, television, and shorts about the USA for an international audience. I'm your host, Matthew Sherwood, and every week we look at America through the lens of documentary filmmaking by interviewing filmmakers and experts on the American experience. Subscribe to our mailing list or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Alamo Pictures to be the first to hear about new productions, to find out where you can see our films, and to connect with our team. Camp Jeanette was a seemingly innocuous summer camp for children with disabilities. But for those who attended in the 1970s, it was a utopia. Fostered by hippie values and unencumbered by the low expectations of society, a generation of summer campers with disabilities became a movement that changed the world. Recently, we caught up with Jim Lebrecht and Nicole Noonan, the directors of the Netflix documentary Crip Camp. Not only did we learn more about one of the most compelling previously untold stories of our time, but we found out what it's like to work 
with Barack and Michelle Obama and what is next on the agenda in terms of disability rights. Jim Lebrecht, Nicole Noonan, welcome to Factual America. Great to be here. Yeah. yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, no problem. Uh, so, Jim, I think you're in Oakland. Uh, how are things in uh, Oakland these days? Well, um, you know, I'm still sheltering in place very carefully and um, and just trying to, um, you know, spend the time as best I can. And um, so, but, you know, I mean, you know, the world feels like it's... Uh, it seems pretty tough right now. Yeah. And, and I think one of the bright spots is the fact that our film has been, um, it feels meaningful yeah. in a time where things feel bleak. Yeah. And, and that's been really a, a comfort. And, and Nicole, what about uh, you? I think you're in California as well. How are things, how are things for you under, uh, we're about three, three months in nearly with, with quarantines. Yeah, I mean, I I agree with Jim. It's like you know, there's it's a it's a time of um, you know real difficulty, but also real hope. I mean, I think um, you know we are finding that that kind of um, a message that that Crip Camp has of kind of young people really can make a difference and change the world is not only resonating, but actually we're watching it happen right now. You know, so. Um, I, it's a time unlike any that I've ever lived through, and um, and you know I'm so sorry for all the pain that people are experiencing, and also um, you know I hope that we're going to find our way to something better. So the film is, uh, as you said, is a Crip Camp uh, from Netflix. Uh, absolutely amazing. Recommend it obviously to all our our listeners. Um, I mean for those few people out there who don't have access to to Netflix and haven't seen it yet because I know it's been like on everyone's uh certainly the last month sort of top top uh films list uh to see during lockdown um Jim I'll start with you I mean maybe you can give us a little background what what is this what's this film about well it's a film that starts off at the summer camp I went to yeah back in the early 1970s when I was 15. And it's, if you really want a global answer to that, it's about community. Yeah. It's about these group of uh, young adults and kids who wind up going to this incredibly special summer camp for folks with disabilities and how the whole environment there, which was really kind of emblematic of the time of, you know, everything was changing in society, different liberation movements, you know, throwing out all the status quo that was there. And that included how people were regarding folks with disabilities. Mm. Instead of treating us like patients or something fragile, we were treated like teenagers. Yeah. Just out there to have a good time. And my gosh, when you're treated that way, it, it just totally builds up your self-confidence and how you feel about yourself. Um but key to all of that was our ability to really talk among, uh, amongst ourselves about our situation. Mm. And, um, you know, for me, uh, meeting Judy Human, who's a major character in the film, uh, at the age of 15, and her being such a badass, you know, uh, <laughs> you know rights seeker, um, really set a course of my life in regards yeah. to 
realizing, my gosh, we can actually fight back and win mm-hmm. a suit. Um, and um, so, you know, the, that was the kind of place Camp Jeanette was. Yeah. I think you're obviously a great documentarian because uh, that's always the second or third question I get to or somewhere in the podcast where I ask you really what what is this really about? I mean, we know what the subject's about, but you've already said it's about community. I was going to ask Nicole about that as well. But while I've got you here, Jim, I mean, what is it like seeing so much of your life up on screen? Well, first off, just having first seen all of this black and white video was very surreal. Yeah just kind of like looking through some kind of magic telescope to the past. I, I think that having worked in documentary film for so long and seeing what makes a good film versus a great film, mm-hmm. so much of that has to really do with how much you relate to the people in the, in the film. And that is something that not only with my character, but with all of the people in their film that Nicole and I were really able to reveal. Mm. Um, and so for me, yeah, I, you know, why reveal all these things, personal things about yourself? The fact that, you know, I wore diapers up until the age of 15. I know. Well, it's because, you know, you may get one shot to really talk about the disabled experience and don't leave anything behind because when you really reveal yourself and talk honestly, it tends, for lack of a better word, humanizes people and makes you empathetic. And to really have some kind of impact with our film, you have to relate to the people. And you know as a disabled person from your experience that people can be fearful. They could be off-put by you. So, I mean, uh, and I'm also incredibly grateful for the fact that the collaboration that Nicole and I had was full of trust. I, um, I've known Nicole for a long time, mixed three of her future documentaries, and I had asked her to make a film about the summer camp. And um, she asked me to co-direct with her. But it was this collaboration that provided me the safety and provided the basis for that, you know, what has turned out to be an incredible film. I mean, I think you made so many good points there, I think, uh, which all lead to questions that I certainly have in my notes, uh, or you've already provided some of the answers. But uh, I think, no, 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 don't be sorry. I think it's, uh, it's. I, I want to get Nicole in here real quick, but uh, maybe, Jim, one last point uh, as we're kind of looking at the very sort of, if you will, if we're going to look at this linearly uh, in the beginning of the story, I mean, maybe... For for the many people who have not seen the film uh, yet, and many people are of an age who don't remember these uh, this era, but uh, give our listeners an idea of what it was like to be disabled in the 1950s and 60s. Well, I was born in 1956, yeah. so um, but these are the days before curb cuts, mm-hmm. before handicapped parking spots, um, and the days before there were any civil rights protections for people with disabilities. So um, you basically were living in a world that wasn't set up for you, that didn't expect for you to be there and didn't really value your participation. I mean, in a nutshell, just the inaccessibility and the attitudes were very, very difficult. Now it's not like here we are in 2020 and everything is just peaches and cream. 
right. it's far from it. You know, there's there's uh, there's still so much stigma around disability, but I think that um, society's been confronting that and dealing with it, and things are certainly better. But you know, uh, the passage of the Americans with Disabilities Act, or a couple of curb cuts, or fancy door handles don't make everything perfect. Uh, Nicole, I mean, I want to ask you this is. Um uh, someone who's not disabled. I mean, why haven't we heard of this story before? Because I just sat there in in amazement. Uh, I'm only uh, I'm only 11 years younger than you are, uh, Jim. And uh, but since I was a kid, I've been watching the news. I, I I remember when the American Disabilities Act was passed. I remember when some of these changes started happening. Um, so it's not like this has all been a secret. But this is this has got to be one of the greatest stories that I've never heard of. I mean, I, I don't remember any of these demonstrations and 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 protests and things. So, Nicole, what do you, I mean, what do you think? Why haven't we heard any, heard this story before? Or we just not been listening? Yeah. I mean, um, I've been making documentaries for 25 years and, uh, and a lot of them have been about, um, social justice. Um, and I studied history, um, and I vaguely knew about the disability rights movement, but a lot of this was was news to me. And to be honest, like I think quite a bit of the detail of it was news to you too, Jim, right? I mean, like and and actually has we we've heard that from from many other people. Um I don't think that anyone has ever really um had the resources or the time um or you know to to get in to delve into the footage to the extent that we were luckily able to do. Um, and and so I think the answer to that is is just discrimination. You know, there's people have a vested interest in um, marginalizing this history. You know, um, and I think also people uh, are uncomfortable about thinking about disability. And there we have these very um, kind of tropey, um, really unfortunate stereotypes that our brains track into us non-disabled people when we think about people with disabilities because that's what we've been served up uh, from the media. So it's like either the sort of inspirational character, um, you know, which inspires us to think that we can overcome things too because we see them overcome their disability or the kind of tragic character where we, we feel good because, you know, we don't have to struggle with these things in our lives. And, and, so a story about people with disabilities actually banding together and changing the world for all of our benefit is a story that reveals that the capacity and the ingenuity and the, the joy and the like um, creativity of disability community, not just individuals, but also the, the culture and community that's been created um, by people with disabilities. And it, and it also reveals that, you know, disability is just like a, a part of the human experience and that people with disabilities can contribute to making the world better for everybody. And those are things that our society just hasn't wanted to look at or contend with. But I think the other thing um, is that the reason that you haven't heard of the story of, you know, kind of Camp Jeanette and, um, and, and its role and the, the, uh, the role of that particular group of young people in kind of carrying that movement forward is because it hadn't really been written yet. Um, and I think it was sort of, you know, this really happy accident of 
Jim carrying that beautiful memory, um, you know, bringing it to me and us, you know, gathering together with Denise and Judy Human and the other people in, in uh, the film and kind of saying like, okay, where, you know, can we find footage of this? Can we find pictures of this? Can we bring this camp back to life? And can we look at whether or not there really was a link from this, you know, wild hippie liberatory summer camp <laughs> in the Catskills in 1971. And then this earth shaking movement that came later. And, you know, luckily we were able to really find and draw the line between those mm -hmm. two things. Yeah. Um, and so I think that is a little bit of an original contribution. Yeah. Well, I think that's actually a good point place to maybe look uh, at one of the clips you've uh, brought with you uh, and thanks to Netflix as well uh, for sharing that I think this do you want to set this up I think it's it's a, it probably it definitely leverages all that uh, that footage that you were able to get um, and I think it shows people coming to the camp but I'll let you set that set it up yeah, so this is just a, a, a clip that combines, um, you know, the, the People's Video Theater footage of Camp Jeanette, which was a radical video coalition that stopped by the camp in the summer of 1971 and happily spent five days there um, filming with Jim and his friends, but also handing Jim the camera. And, um, and Jim himself does some of the filming, which is really yeah. exciting and kind of extraordinary. And then also footage that uh, was shot by some counselors who were trying to raise money for the camp and um, and Jim is still good friends with them. And so they were like, hey, I think we have a couple of reels of old color footage that um, that we shot at the camp um, back in the day. And uh, and then, you know, some fabulous photographs that have been collected by campers and counselors over the year. And it really was our attempt to kind of show how. Um, for people coming into the camp, it was kind of like coming into a utopia um, where they weren't judged and they were free, but also that it was like coming into the fullness of that particular moment in history, you know, right down the road from Woodstock and, and right in the full kind of throes of the summer of love and, and, and the, the, you know, rock and roll and all the things that were happening at that time. All right. Well, then let's, uh, let's watch that clip. I mean, when Woodstock was happening, I remember being at my grandmother's listening on the transistor radio and saying, wish I could go, wish I could go, wish I could go. And then when I went to Jeanette, it was like, there I was, I was in Woodstock. The music and the people. And just feel like these people are crazy, you know, I mean, in a good way. Come to Camp Jeanette and find yourself, you know? Right, that was that was a great clip. I mean, Jim, did you uh, did you know about the? Well, you obviously knew about this footage because you were there when it filmed. But did you know it was still around, or how did how did you go find it? Um, I had you know this vague memory of of all of this going on, and uh, the only thing I really could remember was that this group that came out there, the word "people" was in their name, 
It was actually Nicole that trapped these folks down. Wow. Okay. And you want to t- tell them the story, Nicole? Yeah, let's hear the story, Nicole. What? How did you find these guys? Are they still around? They- yeah. Well, it was really, um, you know, like a, a needle in a haystack worth searching for, right? When Jim yeah. said, "Yeah, I remember these guys," and they came and they actually cut together this short crab video yeah. about the crabs <laughs> epidemic at Camp yeah. Jeanette, which we feature briefly in the film. And in- indeed. And uh, and so you know we knew that they had been there and that they had shot at least that, but then Jim had this memory of, you know, them strapping this porta pack on the back of his chair and handing him the camera. And so, um, that became kind of like the Holy grail. And, um, you know, I just basically searched through everything I could find about old radical video groups in that era. And finally, in, you know, the back of a magazine, um, there was a tiny little ad. I was just like literally flipping through the pages and at the back of it, there was, uh, a little notice that said crabs outbreak at Camp Jeanette for the handicapped by the people's video theater. And then we had the name and then we were able to find out who was in the group. And finally I found one of them listed as being on the board of a radical bookstore in San Francisco. And so I went there and they said, well, we're not going to give you his contact information, but you can leave a note. And if, you know, he wants to get involved with you, he'll email you later. We'll hand it to him at the next board meeting. And uh, sure enough, like a month and a half later, Jim and I out of the blue get this email from this guy, Howard Gutstadt. And he's like, yes, I was there. I have five and a half hours of footage. We haven't looked at a lot of it since then, but it's in good shape. And we're actually happened to be midway through transferring it um, through a grant at this um, video coalition that is in San Francisco. And so literally we just drove over there the next week and met him at a cafe. And when he saw Jim come in, he burst into tears because here was this, you know, kid that, that they had handed a camera to 50 years ago, coming back and saying, you know, I want to take this footage you shot that was so meaningful and, and carry this story forward. It was very beautiful. And they really um, were fantastic collaborators with us throughout the process. And, um, you know, eventually we just get this hard drive full of all of this miraculous footage that has not only Jim in it, but like Judy human and Jim's first girlfriend and, you know, uh, all of these incredible scenes that no one who was involved in, in them. I mean, nobody remembers actually that message to parents scene, which is so beautiful where the kids are sitting around the table talking about, their parents. Um, but yet there it is, you know, it was, it was just one of those kind of miraculous things that happens in the world of documentary filmmaking sometimes. Yeah. I mean, it was, that's an amazing story. That's a, what a gold mine, because I think as you both were saying earlier, um, about identifying with the characters, I mean, I felt like by the end I was, I kept referring to everyone by their first names in my head when I was thinking about them. And so much of that was seeing them as teenagers in those in in those camp footage, uh, which was absolutely amazing. I mean, there, there's yeah. something really wonderful about this whole thing, in that they could have come to the camp and asked the camp director, "Tell us how you're taking care of these yeah. poor and fortunate souls." But they went right to us and they said, "Tell us what you would like us. Let's make a film about your camp. Tell us what you would like to say." And providing us that kind of agency or opening. And respect was not something that happened every day. One thing I wanted to ask is, um, so, uh, Jim, I mean, did you guys actually call it Crypt Camp? <laughs> <laughs> no, well, not, no, not, not at the time. But, you know, the whole 
basically it's a shorthand. Yeah, yeah. And I remember Corbett O'Toole, who's in the film, you know, we, we've been friends for a very long time. And she said, Hey, did you go to Crip camp? And it was like, Oh yeah, she means a camp for people with disabilities. And yeah. in reality, the, you know, the, the use of the word Crip in the title and just in our nomenclature has a lot of meaning behind it. Um, and it really kind of speaks about reclaiming that the word cripple. Mm. And, and it shows that I and people like myself who use it identify culturally as somebody with a disability. And that, and that we have a real political um, bent to how we feel about it. So it is not a word that everybody in the community is happy to hear used. Mm -hmm. But certainly when it came down to the title of the film, it really became really, I mean, it it says everything in, you know, in eight letters that it's an edgy film. It's not, you know, I I was at Sundance a few years ago and I was talking to a woman around a fireplace about, yeah, I'm working on this film about the summer camp I went to when I was a kid and she went, Oh, that's nice. And it's like, no, no, you understand. I went there because I, I heard I could smoke dope with the counselors <laughs> and she was, you know, so it's not your, it's not your typical trope. Yeah, exactly. I mean, what was, what was in the water at Camp Jeanette? I mean, uh, <laughs> what was it that just, it became this hotbed of eventually of activism. And we'll talk more about that in a few minutes, but what, I mean, I, I think you've alluded to it already as well, but what is it specifically about Camp Jeanette that just it motivated well, I, so I, many of you? I mean, I think it's the two things I think was a part of the time. And, but it was also honest to gosh, Judy human who, you know, that summer she had just prevailed in this lawsuit to uh, get a teaching position with the uh, New York city board of education. And that you see her in our, in our film, I mean, simply organizing the cook's night off dinner as an organizer and, and trying to get consensus or at least a good clear majority. Judy is to this day, this dynamic woman who really just, you just want to, you just want to join her cause, whatever it is. And, um, and, and, and she really, um, help foster conversations that were going on in the bunks. And, um, and as she, you know, time went on, she started the Disabled in Action in New York and people got involved politically. It really did feel like groups like Disabled in Action were extension of the community. A lot of us found a camp. And I, I, it's, 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 it's an excellent segue to, to, cause I did want to, did want to talk to you about Judy. Um, who is, you know, there's so many heroes in this film, but she's obviously one of the main characters. Again, uh, I'm going to turn this one to to Nicole, and I've already sort of asked you this question about why haven't we heard about this story? Well, why haven't we heard about more about Judy Newman? I mean, she was in the Clinton-Obama administrations. Uh, I would, strikes me that she, there should be statues or she should be on coins or a, a postage stamp at least <laughs> uh, dedicated this this woman. I mean, why... Uh, Nicole, maybe you can talk a little bit about your uh, your interactions with Judy, and uh, again, why? Again, is it the same story? This sort of biases that why we haven't heard more about her until 
till this film. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. You know, that 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 for me was kind of like in in investigating the story with Jim and in meeting Judy and kind of realizing her power and reading more about her. And then as we were researching all the archival footage, you know, getting these clips in and 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 seeing the power of her. Um, you know, I started to feel like, wow, we sort of have the opportunity here to go back in time and and see a great civil rights leader, you know, become in the act of becoming who they are as a teenager, um, and at the same time tell one of the great untold civil rights stories of our time, you know. Um, and I think, you know, we've we in the film we try to to bring up and um, and consider a little bit uh, kind of the, the importance of intersectional movements. Um, you see like uh, the LGBTQ community coming in and helping during this uh, takeover of a federal building that, that, that pushed for this legislation. You see um, the Black Panthers coming and bringing the food, you know? Um, and I think with, with uh, so many people with disabilities, they're, they're dealing with being multiply marginalized. And so, with Judy, you know, she she's a woman. She was a young woman and she was disabled. And so I think um, because of the way that the world looks at disability and, and, and looked at women at the time, you know, her story got kind of written out of history. And it really is an, an enormous, enormous shame. And luckily, you know, the film, I think, is bringing a lot of attention to her. And she wrote a fabulous book recently called Being Human, um, which you can get on Amazon. And, and it's great. And it gives more detail um, to her story, um, sheds a lot of light on it. Um, and I just don't think it's the, the, the last that you'll hear of her either. She's like, <laughs> she's, you know, she's got this also this really great um, kind of series of videos that she does called the human perspective on, on uh, I think it's on YouTube, but you can find about it if you follow her on Twitter. Um, and she's just, she's just, you know, a, a great leader and a great voice. And, um, and, you know, it, it's, it's time that, that the world um, embraces her and, and it, it we felt like we felt like sharing her story to Americans in particular would be a gift. It would be a gift to Americans to be able to hold that story and the story of the movement in general and just say, this is a part of our history. It's, it's like a badass, amazing, hopeful part of our history. And, um, and we're seeing now that the protests are happening all over the, the country in the last week or so, we're seeing so many references on social media to Crip Camp, you know, people are like, hey, you should, you should watch Crip Camp, you know, kind of if they can do it, we can do it kind of thing. Or um, here's how they did it. You know, this is why we need to collaborate with other movements. And so that's really um, makes us happy because we always intended to make a film that was an activating film, you know, that left people not in a place of like, that was a nice little thing that happened in history, but more like, yeah, we can, we, you know, we can do this and there's so much more left to be done. Okay. Uh, I think that brings us to a good point to watch um, another clip and uh, we'll actually go to a break and over the break uh, listeners and and or watchers can uh, listen or watch that uh, but I think it shows Judy in her all her power as uh, part of uh, the I guess they uh, shut down Madison Avenue is that right Nicole is that the the clip we're going to see now yes this was kind of one of the um, the first big major kind of um, demonstrations that Disabled in Action, the group that Judy founded or co-founded um, in New York, um, uh, 
sort of activated in, in New York City. And this was um, basically because of uh, Nixon's veto of the 1973 Rehabilitation Act. Um, and uh, and they, uh, they had a demonstration and nobody was paying attention to them. There was no traffic going by. Um, and so they just decided, well, we're going to go down to Nixon headquarters and, um, and we're going to get in the middle of the street. Amazing. Okay, well, let's go watch that clip and uh, give our listeners a bit of a break. And we'll soon be back with Factual America. Disabled in Action decided to have a demonstration in New York City in front of Nixon headquarters. We decided that we were going to sit down in the street and we were going to stop traffic. So at 4.30 in the afternoon, we formed this huge circle. We cut off four streets. You get the call to action, to the barricades. You know, Judy would call it. I remember being on the ground with these big trucks coming at you, going, whoa. So it was a very unusual demonstration. I mean, people are not used to seeing a whole lot of folks in wheelchairs, and you had to back up. I mean, you had to back up if you were on the wrong side in front of that young woman. They were announcing paraplegic stop traffic in Manhattan. There were only 50 of us, but basically, with the one street, we were able to shut the city down. You're listening to Factual America. Subscribe to our mailing list or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Alamo Pictures to keep up to date with new releases or upcoming shows. Check out the show notes to learn more about the program, our guests, and the team behind the production. Now back to Factual America. Welcome back to Factual America. I'm here with uh, Jim Lebrecht and Nicole Noonan, directors of Crip Camp, which you can see on Netflix. Um, I want to change uh, tack a little bit. I want to talk a bit about the the project. I think you've already mentioned about um, something about how you two got together. But uh, uh, Nicole, how did you uh, how did you get involved with the with this? And what was you know how did how did you all get you know decide to to make this film? Well, Jim and I have been working together for a long time. Um, I think for 15 years. And uh, and Jim is a, a really amazing creative sound designer um, and mixer um, with his own company in, in Berkeley that most of us uh, documentary filmmakers in the Bay Area, of whom there are actually many, um, <laughs> go to with with pleasure with, with our um, labors of love when we're ready to mix and sound design them. And so I had worked with Jim on three previous feature docs, actually. Um, and all three of them actually have themes that kind of cross over uh, what, what we've looked at in Crip Camp, you know, the power of young people to make change and, um, and, and sort of social justice in America. And, and so I think uh, Jim felt like I was somebody who was interested in the kinds of um, the kinds of films that he was interested in seeing be made about people with disabilities and had not seen enough of. Um, and 
Jim had become a really strong, powerful voice in our community and in our industry, kind of advocating for better representation of people with disabilities and advocating also for better access for filmmakers with disabilities in, in, in our industry. So I was really interested in that. And uh, luckily, he took me out to lunch one day and, um, and said, here's a few ideas I have about disability. I wonder if you might see a film in any of this. Mm. And I, I didn't immediately see a film in any of them. But luckily, like as we were heading back to our car, he said, um, you know, but what I've really always wanted to see is a film about my summer camp. And I kind of rolled my eyes because I was like, oh, my God, everybody wants to make a film about their summer camp because everybody had like, the, you know, the time of their life and this big transformational experience at summer camp. Yeah. Um, but he was like, I said, you know, tell me why. And then he just starts describing this place. I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> you know, I had no mental model for imagining disability community, really. And I didn't have any mental model for, for thinking about like wild, horny teenagers, you know, smoking dope and, and listening to Bob Dylan at a summer camp yeah. uh, with disabilities. And it was just um, joyous and, and fun and unexpected and intriguing and, and then Jim, you know, said, you know, I've always had this theory, but there was something about this liberatory experience at this camp and the movement that came later. And I was like, oh, that is really, really interesting. And then he sent me a Facebook page with all these pictures and I was completely hooked. So at that point, we hadn't found the footage yet. We were thinking of casting young actors with disabilities and doing recreations. And um, but but it was only a week or so into thinking about this that I came back to Jim and said, you know, I, I, I this is not a film that I should be directing by myself. Like the whole really special thing here is that you're somebody within the film industry who's creative and poised to make a film. And like, and it's your story and, yeah. you know, your history and working together, we could kind of make a film that was told from an inside perspective. And that would be really radical. And, uh, and Jim, was it, it, whose idea was it to interweave your story with the narrative of the disability rights movement? I think that my story was a way to kind of introduce the audience into the world of disability. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that's the basic reason uh, behind it. And, um, I, I have to say that the, the narration in the film was really something that we crafted mm. uh, throughout the process and really honed in on how it could really tie things together or finding things that needed to be expressed. Nicole, can I ask, when did Higher Ground come on board? Well, we were we kind of had a rough assembly of the film together. Uh, we were working on it with yeah. with our editor, and um, and we had brought in this amazing uh, executive producer Howard Gertler, who um, who produced a film called How to Survive a Plague, uh, which is an amazing film about the story of ACT UP, and um, yeah. and he also had produced Wet Hot American Summer, so he seemed mm. like the perfect executive producer for us a summer camp movie and a, and a civil rights uh, story. So um, a movement story. So he read in the trades that Higher Ground was being formed and immediately thought, you know, this film would be a really great fit for them because Judy had worked um, in the Obama State Department. And also, um, you know, there's so many themes that are really resonant, I think, um, around kind of what the Obamas stand for uh, in terms of, you know, the importance of organizing and the importance mm -hmm. of young people making change and um, and the importance of community. So 
we were really excited about it. And we had this trailer and we, um, we maneuvered to get the trailer in front of Priya Swaminathan, who had just been hired to run the Obama's company, Higher Ground. And she said, well, we're not really looking for anything right now because we're trying to figure out what we are, you know? Um, And then she called back a couple of weeks later and was like, wow, like, I don't really know what you guys have done, but I cannot stop looking at this thing. And, um, and so she said, I want to kind of fly up to Berkeley and meet you guys and talk with you and get to know you. And, um, and we spent a lot of time together and we, we came to really feel over the course of that time that they saw and Priya saw that, the same film we saw and also not just what kind of film it was and had the potential to be, but the kind of potential it had to really make change in the world. So um, she said at one point, you guys have a culture shifting project. (laughs) And, um, and so we ended up feeling just as excited about the prospect of working with her as, um, as uh, working with the Obama's company and, and the, you know, the huge impact that having that platform would enable the film to have, and, uh, and luckily she called back and said, you know, we really want to roll up our sleeves and make this film together with you and the president and Mrs. Obama feel the same way. Um, so we still can't quite believe that that's all, all happened, <laughs> but, uh, but they were incredible to work with and yeah. they reviewed cuts and gave feedback and, you know, they, they were active executive producers. So it was great. Is that right? That's amazing. I was going to just about to ask that question. Um, how active were they? But uh, do, have you met them? No, we haven't. But we've spoken with um, the president over the phone. Most of the notes were given through Priya, but but yeah. he called us uh, before Sundance to um, wish us well and, and talk about the film, which was, you know, a life highlight. Yeah. Imagine your, your executive producer is Barack Obama. Um, now, one last thing on this project. I mean, you got it, got it in the can. You got it finished. You're ready to go to. Uh, uh, well, you got it to Sundance. You won the Audience Award, and then uh, it was getting set for a theatrical release. But then uh, COVID nineteen happened. Um, how how has that played out? Have you? I mean, were you disappointed? How how have you dealt with that, Jim? Do you, do you want to take that one? Maybe. Yeah. Well, I'm. I mean, we were all set to go over to Europe yeah. uh, for the Human Rights Watch Film Festival and uh, another festival in Copenhagen. And, and um, it was disappointing not to kind of continue kind of this road trip that we were on, let alone being in movie theaters. But um, as it turns out, you know, everybody's having a shift. We shifted um, a lot of the uh, some festivals that wound up doing uh, kind of screenings uh, online or having everybody watch the film and then bringing us in. And those Q&A sessions have been really very intimate and they've been really, um, really um, quite special, to be honest with you. And also, we don't have to worry about whether the theater can hold so many wheelchairs or not. <laughs> I mean, I was going to say, I, I saw something on Sundance. I I mean, I'll credit Sundance. They also had plenty after this one line, but they said it's, there's limited uh, wheelchair spaces. It's first come, first serve. And then, uh, but then, then later said, do reach out to us if you have any questions or concerns. But uh, um, I guess, again, this gets to this sort of uh, um, issue I wanted to get back to you, Jim, uh, is... Uh, in terms of the uh, 
the disability rights. I, I think I already know the answer to this question. Is the fight over? Uh, I think you'd say no. Uh, and for us, uh, for our listeners, what what is next? I mean, what what are the uh, things that people in the uh, uh, in the disabled community are are really uh, want to change and are are fighting uh, for right now? I think some of the biggest issues are certainly very timely with COVID. Yeah. Um, is this idea of healthcare rationing? And, 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 you know, you could roll up to an emergency room and they simply by seeing you in a wheelchair could say, you know, we, we're not going to take care of you. Um, and that kind of prejudice and sense of, well, how are we judging all of this? And is it based on quality of life? And the last thing you want to do is ask a doctor about a disabled person's quality of life because they're not the experts on things like that. Mm. But I think that the other issues there are issues we've always faced, high unemployment, um, you know, uh, lack of support services that allow us to live in the community, the, the mm. kinds of funds that enable someone to afford to have somebody come into their home, get them up in the morning, get dressed so they can go off to work and pay taxes, uh, especially when we're looking in the face of a huge economic downturn, the funds for those kinds of social programs always are under attack. Mm. And the alternative is something that's actually more expensive, which is that puts people in nursing homes. And nursing homes um, are where well over 40% of the deaths from COVID are happening. Yeah. Plus it's a prison. You know, and, and um, so... I mean, these are the, I mean, we could do a whole show on this. Um, but the fact of the matter, I, I can't be in my wheelchair on an airplane or use a bathroom in an airplane. I mean, that to me feels draconian still. Yes. And, and Nicole, uh, uh, as the co director on this, what do you want to, um, what do you hope people take away from this film? I mean, I think there's two main goals that we we kind of identified um, in terms of the impact that we wanted the film to have. Um, one is that we really wanted it to shift people's perception about people with disabilities. We wanted to create a film that was immersive in such a way as that by the time you came out of it, you felt like the people that you had been around in the film were your friends and mm. people you loved and that you would never really be able to look at disability in the same way, if you were a non-disabled person, we wanted people with disabilities to see themselves and see their community represented and for that to feel authentic and true. And we wanted um, for people to come out of it kind of wanting to wanting to seek out and engage with disability rights and disability activism now. And also just frankly, to believe in the power of organizing and activism and, and community as a way to to make the world a better place. And and Jim, I wanted to give you the last word on on this. A, a sort of a follow-up question is uh what would you say to parents who uh whether it's with their preborn child or maybe they're just recently born child with have a child diagnosed with disability? What would you, what would your advice be to them? I think the most important thing is to not put your limitations or your limited expectations on your child but let your child find their place in the world, encourage them, um, and realize that failure or disappointment um, from trying to live in the world is just part of life, and you shouldn't protect them from that. 
And through really living life fully, they will find their own sense of worth. And um, I, it's hard to believe, but I think we're coming to the end of our uh, of our time together. Uh, uh, I mean, Jim, what's uh, what's next uh, for you? I know you're sound designer, you've uh, documentarian. What what's next for you? What projects are you working on? I know there are limitations because of uh, needing to uh, shelter in place and these sort of things. Well, I, I'm currently looking just at options of how um, I can be involved with seeing other projects uh, around disability and media get produced and, um, you know, and, and hoping that I can interest people in some projects that are very important. So just being kind of part of that world, I, I've, this has absolutely been the most meaningful thing I've ever done in my life. And I want to continue doing things like this. Okay. And, and Nicole, what about you? What's, what's next on the agenda? Well, Jim and I are having fun um, kind of exploring and, uh, and, and thinking about possible uh, narrative or scripted projects to come out of Crip Camp, um, mm. which has really been kind of a, a, a joy to consider um, in the midst of the pandemic. And, you know, I kind of um, am exploring other possible documentary and narrative projects and, um, you know, just praying that something with like a a quarter of the authenticity and uh, and beauty of Crip Camp comes my way. <laughs> All right. Well, we're keen to uh, sort of keep watch for, for your next projects. We'll have um, links in the show notes uh, for our listeners uh, about ways of uh, being able to uh, – keep up to date with uh, with what you're up to now. Um, I just wanted to thank you, uh, Jim Lebrecht and Nicole Noonan, for coming on to Factual America. It's been a joy having you. Uh, you're the directors of Crip Camp, which uh, just remind people that uh, it can be seen on Netflix. I, I know as of uh, June 11th, it's still on. Um, I want to give a shout out to This Is Distorted Studios in Leeds, England, for uh, opening up your... Uh, your studios to us and um, just remind our listeners and watchers, please remember to like us and share us with your friends and family, wherever you happen to listen or watch podcasts. This is Factual America signing off. You've been listening to Factual America. This podcast is produced by Almo Pictures, specializing in documentaries, television, and shorts about the USA for international audiences. Head on down to the show notes for more information about today's episode, our guests, and the team behind the podcast. Subscribe to our mailing list or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Alamo Pictures. Be the first to hear about new productions, festivals showing our films, and to connect with our team. Our homepage is alamopictures.co.uk.